Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, and if you're a Star Trek fan, you don't want to miss the ultimate Star Trek Top 50 of all time countdown, available this holiday season on Inglorious Trexperts, wherever you listen to podcasts, with new episodes dropping all holiday long. Consider it an extra special Christmas present from all of us to you. Ho, ho, ho. If you're a Star Trek fan who thinks you know everything about the history of Star Trek, think again. Check out Ed Gross and my new best-selling two-volume oral history of Star Trek from St. Martin's Press, The 50-Year Mission, available wherever books, digital, and audiobooks are sold. and welcome to Disco Nights. We are on episode six here of this fantastic show about the franchise we all know and have loved for so many years. And I am so excited to have with us our special guests here today. First, on my right, Lisa Klink. She is a writer on, she was a writer on Star Trek Voyager for three seasons. She is now a novelist with work such as All In and All Gone. Welcome, Lisa Klink. Happy to be here. Hooray. Next, we have Jeff Bond. He is the editor of Geek Magazine, your favorite and mine, right? <laughs> um, he is also the author of books on the making of the Orville and the making of Narcos. He has been a Trek expert for many years. Give it up, Jeff Bond. Thank you very much. <laughs> I hope you're clapping. And who can say enough about our other last and most famous guest, Mark Altman? He <laughs> is a uh, he is the host of Inglorious Trexperts. He is uh, which is our sister show, which you should be watching. He is the author of Fifty Year Mission, and he is the writer of film and television. Welcome, Mark, and thank you so much Are for being all here. All film and television, or just some film and television? I'm oh, I thought I just is there any show you don't do? Uh, there are few, but I want to say a thank you for having me on your show. It's very exciting. I mean, I miss my chair. I miss my chair you know, because you you're in my chair. If you like, can if you, I? Can yeah, I sit sure, in my go, chair? Go for it. Because it's weird it. being on this side of the dais, you know, the thing. I think that you might do the better job as Inglorious Trexpert. I just, I, I'm a little <laughs> surprised you invited me to be on the show because you know you got all this great feedback on Twitter and Facebook and everything. People who love the show, they they say how great the guests are and how nice and sweet they are and how how upbeat they are about discovery. And then you invite me to be on the show. I like, didn't. Do, who invited him? Did you invite him, Lisa? Not me. <laughs> Jeff, did you invite him? I don't know, but I clearly well, I didn't leave. say enough when in. I was introduced. <laughs> anyway, so guys, we have so much to discuss and such a short time to do it for this one episode. Um, I want to just go over all of the incredible things that are happening. Star Trek is in warp drive. There's oh, a really? lot going go on. There? I am going to go <laughs> there. The bad puns. Okay, who invited Mark? I just got. Yeah, I'm really still not trying me. to figure it out. Don't worry, the, the Twitter um, feed will be blow up. Why would you have that jerk on? <laughs> Get rid of him. The, it, truly inglorious. Um, <laughs> just for that, Mark, I'm going to ask you. Oh God. Uh, we are entering into Disco's second season um, at the same time that we are embarking on a new series called, uh, uh, ostensibly called Picard. Uh, we've got rumors of a Section 31 show, and we're also, we've also got these fantastic episodes called Short Trek. Mark, what do you think? Yes, what, are your, what are your uh, what are your hopes and dreams and aspirations for this series as it is now? Well, There's so many directions this can go in, and it, it seems it feels to me like it's really picking up speed and getting uh, some power back in the TV Trek franchise. Well, you know, I, you're absolutely right, and I have to say, you know, a lot of people when 
uh, Discovery was first announced, they're very critical of CBS for putting it behind a paywall, right? There were a lot of people saying, I'm never going to pay for Star Trek. It's like, meanwhile, you go out and, you know, you spend $6 at Starbucks on a cup of coffee, but I'm never going to pay for Star right, Trek. exactly. I paid $200 for my piece of the action action figure, but I'm never going to pay for it's Star so Trek. so true. And, 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 you know, the point that I made then, and it's just as valid now, you know what? If, if they put this on CBS, which would have been free, it would have lasted 13 episodes and been gone, right? Yeah. That's the reality. Yeah. By making it the crown jewel of CBS All Access and using it basically as a way to you know to, to monetize the streaming platform, it, it is the thing. People aren't signing up for, you know, with all due respect to the uh, the good fight, you know, I think right. it, it's Star Trek that's driving that, that platform. So by Discovery being a, a success by those numbers, it is, it is pushing them to do more and more Star Trek content. You would never have this renaissance of Star Trek content if it weren't for, you know, CBS rolling out this new, you know, streaming platform. You know, Star Trek is the 10-ton gorilla there, the 10-ton Magatu, if you will, Indeed. of this streaming platform. And so as a result, you know, they want to be... You know, have Star Trek content 52 weeks a year. So right now you have Discovery premiering. You're going to have a Picard show at the end of the season. Um, there's talk, whether this is for the investors or it's true, of a Michelle Yeoh spinoff uh, with um, uh, about Captain... Uh, Captain Giorgio. Captain Giorgio. Oh, right, right. Thank you very much. I actually know the names uh, of some of the I characters. I tell you who she played in James Bond. Um, <laughs> and then uh, you also have, um, you know, Lower Decks, which is the new animated series, which, um, you know, uh, I'm sure we'll talk about. I'm, I'm excited about the fact that Mike McMahon is doing it, is, is a big fan of Star Trek, because I always feel... It's great to have people who are who are actually fans of the uh, property uh, of of the world and and who love it and, and embrace it rather than people who feel they're slumming, which happens too often with Star Trek. Um, and then you know there's a couple other things in development. There's talk of potentially a Section Thirty One series, which is going to play a big part of Discovery this season. Um, and uh, you know, really, I think that's probably something you know uh, very exciting. Uh, you know, what are these shows going to be? What are they going to look like? Uh, I mean, it could be anything. Absolutely. Alita. Alita show, for instance, right? Uh, so long <laughs> overdue. I mean, Captain Alita, come on. What are they doing with this Picard stuff? Um, No, I got to say, CBS is really upping its game in terms of the, the wisdom in having uh, Discovery be on all access. You also get uh, Twilight Zone, Tell Me a Story. It's upping its game, I think, in terms of just genre in general. I think they really get and love this love this genre and I think they're showing it and absolutely it's worth the money my god you get it I mean what is it it's 7.99 9.99 with it for the non commercial without commercials I mean yeah. that's entirely reasonable for a full month and when you consider that you used to have to stay up all night and watch you know one of the shows if you could get it on uh, syndication at 2 o'clock in the morning in wherever you are Missouri if you could get Deep Space Nine. You know what I'm saying? This is all these shows at your fingertips all the time. I think it's an amazing deal. And you're also getting access to all the previous Trek shows. You know, you yeah. have the original yes. series on yeah. there, uh, Next Gen, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, the animated series. They're all, you know, they're at the click of a button. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'm interested to, to hear um, what you all think about the, the way that 
this the franchise is headed in terms of the characters because that's always been at the heart of Star Trek and it's so truly important that we that the characters have integrity and and that they keep us excited but that they also stick to canon um Lisa having been a a writer on Voyager and knowing Trek as you do um tell us about your thoughts on this new Picard series and whether you think what what direction you're thinking or hoping it's going to go in um well it's kind of hard to imagine whether it's going to be I guess what I consider sort of classic style Trek, like Next Generation, or this new style of discovery in which the characters are deeply flawed. They don't always like each other. They don't always trust each other. They don't always do the ethical thing. I mean, watching that uh, episode about the tardigrade, where they were debating, you know, can we exploit, you know, a sentient being for our own benefit? Picard would have, would have shut that down really fast. He would have said, absolutely not. We have to find another way. Right. But we have Lorca and we have uh, Stan Metz both going, yes, you know, strap him in. And so I really do wonder if they're going to steer Picard more toward the flawed version or if they're going to keep him what I would consider consistently classic Picard, which I would hope. Yeah, yeah you that's... have to wonder if uh, the whole idea of the Picard series came out of... Uh, you know, fan reaction to Discovery. There's obviously Discovery is successful. It is very popular. Uh, but bef- w- a year before it came on the air, people were complaining about it. Uh, and there's been, a, <laughs> yeah, a, a, I think, that. a big faction of fans who have never accepted w- what Discovery is. And, uh, you know, the, the initial complaints were all about what they people thought the tone was going to be. And to an, a certain extent, they were right. The, the fact that it was a darker tone, that it wasn't as optimistic uh, and... I think uh, I I almost feel like uh, people sat back and thought, what can we give the fans that's going to give them the the kind of warm and cozy feeling that they're back with Star Trek? And we can still go on in this direction we're moving in with Discovery, Uh, although they've even even with Discovery, you know, we're going to have this season spent with Captain Pike. You know, an icon of the original Star Trek, and who seems a much, much friendlier and cuddlier yeah. character uh, than Captain Lorca was. Yeah, I'm going to be the contrarian. I, I shockingly, who are you? I, I don't, I don't feel as though Picard was a response to Discovery. I think it was a very smart play by CBS and, and Secret Hideout, who are the producers of all the Star Trek content for CBS, Alex Kurtzman's company, to say. You know, what's something that the people who haven't hopped on board this show, you know, are going to embrace? And the fact that, you know, it was a combination of the fact that, you know, Patrick had a major franchise in X-Men, which he doesn't have anymore because James McAvoy has sort of taken over that role. So, okay, we have this actor who's available. We have this name, this brand name that uh, is going to bring in a lot of these fans because you got to say, who, what content are fans going to pay for? Mm-hmm. And you know, regardless of what you think of any of the shows, Next Generation was the most mainstream, most successful by metrics, by ratings, by, um, you know, when you went to the conventions, there were families. It wasn't just, you know, uh, so bringing back and, and, you know, tapping into that next generation, the excitement of the next generation world, I think is, is very appealing. I also feel there's a little bit of Logan in it. You know, if you remember mm-hmm. Logan last year, the Hugh Jackman at the, you know, Wolverine at the end of his life, sort of, a very powerful yeah. film by James Mangle, very well done. Incredible. And, and, and it's so funny because you see a lot of these people saying, well, why isn't the rest of the crew here? What, what are, I, but I think it's going to be more like Family, where it's really a deep dive into uh, Picard's character. It's not about going to be, and I don't know, I'm not basing this on any inside knowledge, but I don't think it's going to be Picard on a ship 
you know, going on adventures. I think it's a guy, you know, we've talked about this on other shows, more like the Wild Bunch, like Bill Holden on the Wild <laughs> yeah. Bunch, who's at the end of his life. Interesting. Yeah. That's a great analogy to Logan. And, you know, I was, I would say I agree on, on so many points here that I think it was a very wise decision on CBS's part, which we all have to understand has got a very, um, it's it's a, a an important role to fill in both the lives of the new fans and the classic fans. And by classic, I mean any of the first several series. You've got to bring in a, a new fun audience that is going to love the show for what TV is today, but also appreciate it for what TV was, you know, back in the, when Next Gen was being made. We now are so much more uh, excited by antiheroes and the darker side of characters than we were when Next Gen was being made. And I think this could well be delve into that with Picard. Who knows? But, you know, as you get to know someone throughout someone's life, you get to know their darker qualities and the things that they, you know, secretly hopes and dreams. And I think there's a hunger for optimism, particularly in the political uh, times that we live in, the world we live in. There there is a hunger for that optimism of Star Trek. And I I feel that Discovery in a way paid lip service to it in their final episode. I think there was an acknowledgement when, you know, Sonequa gives that that passionate speech Mm -hmm. about the, you know, the better angels of our nature, you know, that want to be Kirkian kind of speech and um, I think that um, uh, that Picard will need to embrace that and I think future shows because also I mean I think part of what Discovery is wrestling with is it's a prequel so they're dealing with this is the rough and tumble old west of the Star Trek universe before the perfectibility of Mm -hmm. mankind in the 24th century so I think as they go forward with shows that are in the future that you know perhaps there's more of what we associate with Star Trek in terms of you know, the hopefulness, the optimism, True. The, you know, and all that, that 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 is so associated with Star Trek. I agree. True. I think that, that Picard is going to have to go back to the idealism. I, I think you're right that that speech um, that, that Michael gives at the end is, I hope, going to be sort of a transition from we are not going to be as cruel and nasty and torturing everybody we come across, mm. that we are, I get, we're going to reach higher than that. Right. And And I hope that Picard, again, stays true to that character in that he was a moral guy. And I don't want to see him go and compromise himself and, and become an anti-hero. I, I want my Picard. True. That 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 makes so much beautiful sense. And you're right. We do need that optimism so much. I mean, how great is it going to be see uh, Patrick Stewart playing that character again? I mean, he mm-hmm. owned that role. I mean, he's so good in that role. And, and after all these years and, you know, that sort of tragic uh, send off that he got with Nemesis, which is just an abomination, mm-hmm. you know, to, to, uh. to actually be able to rectify that with um, uh, by by having him, you know, do a series, whether it turns out to be 10 episodes and, you know, when it originally was being developed, it was a limited series. So I mean, they've never acknowledged that now. It, it's a, So I think if it's successful, the intent is to go forward with multiple seasons as long as he's willing to do it. And you have some great people on that show. Michael Chabon, who wrote Cavalier and Clay, mm. um, you know, James Duff, who is and who wrote Calypso. And who wrote Calypso, the short film, right? Beautiful, beautiful track. work. Mm-hmm. Short trek. Yes. I mean, the kind of the flip side of this is that uh, Patrick Stewart's going to be, you know, a, a creative force in this show. And uh, he obviously, he was a, somewhat of a creative force in Next Generation. Uh, but he had a lot of input on uh, Star Trek Insurrection and, mm-hmm. and Nemesis, which are not anybody, really anyone's favorite point, uh, Star Trek <laughs> movies. And a, a lot of the ideas that <laughs> to, to me were really kind of helped cripple those we movies dealt with really that came out of uh, a lot Patrick Stewart. Mission, you know how with the features the cast had a lot more to say 
And when you look at the influence on with Patrick and um, Brent in particular on those movies, in particular yeah. later movies, it was not helpful. Yeah, it was not helpful. And it, but you know, there's also a huge difference between doing a feature and and doing television. Yeah. And uh, you know, yeah. I would think that he would still have a good idea about what works for this character on television. Yes, as opposed into a two-hour feature film. Yeah. Of course, his instincts are going to carry him through and his his owning it. And so, yes, we are hungering for that kind of optimism, particularly in the world today. And we can't so we can't ignore the darker social things that are happening globally and in this country. But but Star Trek has always been the optimistic answer to that. So so I agree. That's what we're we're needing. And what we've always come to Star Trek for. And yet there is this dark undercurrent that's been happening in Discovery and also this talk of Section 31. So what are your thoughts on on that? Why is that bubbling up again? What is it that, you know, is, is that something that we're uh, taking from, you know, the, the darkness that Battlestar uh, brought up on television has has seemed to really stuck? What is it that we're looking for in a Section 31 show? Why is that? Why is that? Well, look. I mean, I think it's a good question. I I I think that you know there is that part of Star Trek fandom that is really just enamored with the space battles and the action. And Section Thirty One, you know, epitomizes that. Also, I mean, let's face it. You know, Ira Bear and Ron and and uh, and 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 you know Bill Sadler in that role in Deep Space Nine made that a very memorable part of the mythology. I mean, Section Thirty One didn't exist in Next Generation, right? You know, it wasn't until Deep Space Nine sort of created this, you know, covert CIA kind of thing. But they did such a good job <laughs> that people fell in love with the concept. And I guess the novels have also played with that as well. Um, if Rob Burnett were here, I'm sure he could go on for three hours about what the novels did <laughs> with that's it. why he's not. Uh, so, um, <laughs> but I, um, you know, so I think that, you know, and then there's a lot uh, with Section 31 in Season 2 uh, of... Um, of the show, so it'll be interesting to sort of see. I, 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 I'm not sure that's again. It very much goes against the premise of Star Trek, and yeah, what, yeah. I, I'm not quite sure. I see how Section Thirty One works in in, in Star, you know, Star Trek, but there is a danger of all these shows becoming too dark and too grim. I agree because there was so much lip service paid to you know the next Star Trek is existing in the post Game of Thrones era. Hmm. Well, Game of Thrones is very different from Star Trek, yeah. and there's a lot of people who are running from the idea of what Star Trek represents, and you have to embrace it because they think that oh, this optimism, this 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 hope for the future, you know, is is Pollyannish. It's 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 dated. But, you know, I don't believe that. And it, it, it's all execution dependent. And you, you need to, you know, more now more than ever, I've said it before, I'll say it again, you know, where we extol science and, um, and, and, and that we can, you know, and, and exploring the universe and working together and uh, looking down at xenophobia and our fear, you know, of those who are different. I mean, these are, these are, this is at the heart of what the DNA of Star Trek. Mm -hmm. And you can't just, like, get rid of, you know, the DNA of Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, I think that, yeah. I mean, to me, some of the biggest problems with uh, the first season of Discovery was the, their attempts to kind of get into this Game of Thrones uh, modus operandi because uh, the, the Internet was always so far ahead of that. Uh, you know, we were, you're supposed to be looking forward to these shocking revelations, but by the time they were revealed, they'd been discussed for six months, <laughs> you know, on the yeah. online. We, you know, people were talking about whether Lorca was from the Mirror Universe from the opening episode. 
uh, you know, whether Tyler was a Klingon, it, mm. but, and then they, they seemed the to drag purgatory. No, it's yeah. not. Oh, wait, it is. <laughs> they they, they seem to drag those things be- far past yeah. the point where people had already uh, figured them out. So I'm not sure that you can, uh, you know, operate by, um, you know, planning everything around shocking revelations. I'm also a little, you know, the discussion of the Se- Section 31 show is, seems to be centered around Michelle Yeoh. Uh, who is a huge kind of catch for uh, Discovery. And I, I'm a big fan of Michelle Yeoh. She's yeah, fantastic too. in um, uh, Crazy Rich Asians, uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon is like uh, one of my her, all-time her favorite Kong, trio. films. I mean, all her Hong Kong work is Yeah, fantastic. yeah, she, she's an incredible icon. I, I'm not sure she was great on, on Discovery. And to me, she's a, a, you know an actor who requires direction and it, I, I think she even between episodes you know there's they originally wanted for that role no Michelle Pfeiffer oh really really that's interesting to get a big star well if you and, I mean uh, wow yeah if and, you and Michelle Yo ended up becoming a bigger star after she did the show yeah before, <laughs> yeah yeah which is sort of funny and I, look I like Michelle Yo I like Michelle Yo on the show um, I'm not sure she sustains a spinoff. Yeah, and to yeah to carry a show, I I don't really see her carrying a, a show as a special guest star. I I I think she works uh, fine. I, I, I thought she was hot and cold on Discovery, and I, I, she actually is kind of reminded me weirdly of uh, Genevieve Bujold when she was originally uh, going to be the right. captain of the Voyager. <laughs> right. uh, it, she, she's Lisa, a fantastic did you ever actor. Watch that footage. I mean, when you I were did, there? I have seen it. It's it's crazy, and it who was, knows? It was it was a mismatch. I yeah. mean, she would have been good as a Picard type of captain, right? But yeah, as a Janeway yeah, exactly. kind of captain, not so much. Yeah, and it seemed mm. like that's what they were initially thinking of. That, that she was a scientist and more, more philosophical, and then we wanted you know a woman of action. So you know, I'm not sure that the the approach to the disc, what the Section 31 show is seems almost like something being thrown out there to get gin up interest, but maybe not necessarily what we're going to see, if anything. You do get a sense that a lot of this stuff is testing the waters. You know, it's mm-hmm. like yeah. the rumor goes out there, see what the response is. You know, it's almost like doing a survey monkey, you know? And, uh, and, and then, you know, they see like, and oh, Picard, everyone went crazy. And yeah. it was so funny, too, because, you know, Hollywood Reporter and the trades had announced this months ago. I had heard about it a long time ago, too. And then suddenly, like three, four months later, they, you know, uh, they officially announced it. And then like everyone's talking about it. You know, they just announced the Picard show. This is amazing. It's like, where were you the last couple of months? Like, right. everyone knew this was happening. Right. Well, if you're not points. part of the fan community, though, it might might have been news. Yeah. For people yeah. who don't follow Trek, they might have gone, oh, yeah, that Trek thing. Well, in the in the room when they made the announcement at Star Trek Las Vegas, which if you haven't been, you must go. It's a fantastic time. Um, was just that of wonder. I mean, everyone was so relieved. It was like some, someone coming home, mm-hmm. and it, and it was. And and the the rest of the cast was all back there. Jonathan and Lavar and everybody was there, just in the wings. They didn't come out, but just to support him and to be to celebrate that moment. And and it it is going to be wonderful. And and the fact that. You know, we are bringing hope back to the franchise. I think is is incredible because I think that the the darkness of Section Thirty One is about somehow it seems to me about breaking taboos. Like people want to feel like they have some sort of agency of you know, well, we're just going to do this ourselves. We're going to get justice ourselves, mm. and that it's time to take things into our own hands. And um, I think it, it's I, about cynicism as well. Yeah, I mean, like you were talking about that. You know, the perception that you know. 
the, the Trek universe is too good to be true, which in a little bit it is. I right. mean, people are not going to be perfect at any point in the foreseeable future. And there will always be as we are seeing <laughs> as we are seeing. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, even like 200 years from now or 300 years from now, we are not going to be as perfect as as the people as in the next wanted. generation. And so I think that to me, stuff like Discovery and also the concept of Section 31 is a little bit of a backlash against, oh, yeah, it looks pretty on the surface, but what's really going on? Well, that's yeah. the speech Bill Sadler gives in, in that episode of Deep Space Nine where he says, who do you think makes this possible? It's yeah. it's almost like Nicholson in, you know, A Few Good Men. Yeah. It's like, you know, who's on that wall to make sure you can sleep at night, you know, and I'm not sure that that really is what I want out of my Star Trek, yeah. you know, yeah. in a sense. Yeah. You want to have that hopefulness, even if it's misplaced, that <laughs> we are going to evolve to a better place and learn from the follies of our past. Yeah. And that, uh, you know, look, of course, when we're dealing with the Klingons and the Romulans and all these other people to understand what their, you know, what, what their real motives are. I mean, it's fine. It's a fine line. I just don't know if it's a show. That that's I mean again you know may, maybe it'll be a great part of season two of Discovery you know and and obviously having not watched it you know it could just be really dynamic and really great cast could, and, yeah you know we'll see, we'll see. I mean it, it, it's hard to know I I'm actually intrigued by the animated series Mike hmm. McMahon because um, again a passionate Star Trek fan and um, I've always been a fan of the animated series now this is a little different. And it's curious, you know, is it going to be Futurama or, you know, where it's a little <laughs> uh -huh. too, is there the danger of this becomes Abbott and Costello meet, you know, Frankenstein where they're making fun of Star Trek? Or is it really going to be that Lower Decks, but it's called Lower Decks. Is it really going to sort of deal with these people who aren't the captain, who aren't the first, who don't go on the away team missions, who are on the Lower Decks, sort of like that wonderful episode of Next Generation, mm -hmm. you know, where it can be funny and quirky and weird, but, you know, it, it, because if it's straight up comedy, and it doesn't yeah. feel like it's part of the Star Trek universe, that's kind of problematic, I think. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't want to see that show. I don't want to see a, a spoof yeah. of right. Star Trek. Right. Well, I mean, we sort of already got uh, the Orville, which is basically a straight Star Trek show. Are you pimping with, your book? Uh, yes, now tell us. <laughs> tell us. With, with comedy. Uh, so that yeah, that's why I thought it was kind of odd to like announce this. Uh, it, it, you know, would have been, before the Orville, it would have been a groundbreaking, you know, shocking idea that was exciting. The, the Orville, you know, I think everyone thought the Orville was going to be a spoof and a, a satire. And we're kind of shocked, and, and, and I think this is why uh, Trek fans are, are big fans of the Orville. A lot of them are because the Orville kind of was presenting the bright, shiny future uh, and, and more kind of Star Trek-like stories than Discovery was. But I love, I love, I forget who said this. It's a great quote. It's not at all dismissive. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Orville. Um, they said it's the most expensive fan film yeah, ever made. I, think I might have said <laughs> that. Oh, you might have said that. I might be quoting you. Uh, and but, and but that I mean that's a compliment because in a way it's a love letter to Star Trek from Seth MacFarlane. No, and it yeah. is, yeah. And, you know, and it, you have I, Joe Manowski and Brandon Braga and 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 Dennis McCarthy. I think did some scores and John Frakes directed a bunch. So it's like yeah. And then a lot of guest stars from the Star Trek universe. I mean, he loves Star Trek. And in fact, there are stories, whether they're apocryphal or not, that Seth had gone to Les Moonves. Um, to to try and become the 
Kevin Feige of the Star Trek universe. Of course, they ended up going with Brian, and then eventually, you know, and Alex Kurtzman. Um, but uh, so Seth, you know, basically said, "Well, if you're not going to let me play in your play sandbox, <laughs> I'm going to build my own sandbox." Right. And God bless him. You know, good for him. Such good points, Mark. I'm so glad I invited you on the show. Well, <laughs> that makes one of us. Really, God. Well, thank you for <laughs> that having me. That was a good it's idea. Um, it's so true. I mean, it it is a love letter, and it's got you know, it's got its things that it. it pokes fun at in, t- in terms of science fiction, but it's also got a lot of poignancy and a lot of hope. Um, tell yeah. us more about your book. This well, the, is... the, uh, I mean, what I was going to say is when I was, uh, I, you know, when I was doing the book, I was over at Fox seeing the sets uh, for, for the show, which are amazing. They basically build the first two decks of the ship as a self-enclosed uh, set that you can walk around it's on. It's the first time since Deep Space Nine that I've seen two-level sets where it was literally like two levels where you would go upstairs and there would be a whole nother shooting right. location, you know, where it was, it was it's really yeah. well-made, yeah. You walk up, upstairs sets. to the yeah. bridge. The bridge has a, like an, uh, I think like an 8K, uh, 180 degrees, you know, LED screen uh, for the, the bridge view screen. So when you're sitting, standing on the bridge, they actually project visual effects. And I almost got dizzy mm. because you fe- you actually feel like you're standing on a ship, you know, Hundreds of miles above a, a, a planet, but uh, the, the you know what it's like, Jeff, It's like when we went to IMAX. Remember, we we went a bunch <laughs> right, of the right. other Inglorious Trexperts went to the IMAX theater where you can do these virtual reality. So we did this Star oh, yeah, Trek yeah, virtual yeah. reality bridge crew last Christmas. It, it is like it was that. Jeff Bond and um, Steve and um, Darren Doctorman and Ashley Miller, right? Yeah. So yeah. we went. And we, we, we were very too cool for school. Like, we went and we're like, oh, you know, we're going to do this, but it's going to be like, you know, well, we're going to get a laugh out of it. We're going to, as soon as they put us in that simulator and started, we started taking it so seriously. It's like, Jeff, get those shields up. Oh my <laughs> God. God. We'll do it. Now, where and was Jeff this? Where were... out. We're like, Jeff, we're going to lose this it's ship terrible. because of you. Wait, I got lost. Where was this exactly? At this the, was... You know, the IMAX theater on Fairfax. They, oh, they have right. um, these virtual reality. They have a Star mm-hmm. Trek and John Wick and The Walk and a bunch of stuff. And it, it's sort of these really cool virtual reality. And you need like six or seven people, you know, to, to do it. And, and, um, and uh, you know, there's one which is the Star Trek bridge crew where it recreates the bridge of the Enterprise from the J.J. movies. And you have to rescue... It was the Kobayashi Maru or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like and that. And we had to rescue well, these people depressing. who had been attacked by the Klingons. <laughs> and, I mean, it was the no-win scenario not... for this guy. He lost the ship. Oh, it's not it's that fault. easy to actually Man. operate those controls. It was not that easy. But, you know, on the Orville Bridge, easy the, to give the, orders, the screen though. fills so much of your field of vision that it starts seeming like 3D. Uh, but but what really struck me when I was walking around the sets is right underneath the bridge, there's this fantastic kind of like executive bedroom suite <laughs> for uh, the captain. And when I saw that, that's when I thought, okay, this is the ultimate fan fantasy. You know, it's like, what well, if I was uh, right. commanding a space? You know, I have this great, you know, multi-level bedroom right underneath the bridge. I just go, go down a little <laughs> staircase from the bridge. My, you know, my hot girl ex-girlfriend is my first officer right. my <laughs> best buddy is the helmsman right uh so uh, th- i think that was you know certainly if not you know consciously unconsciously part of his inspiration but I to like do that, that show but it, but it works it, it it's makes, like his girl friday like yeah, Carrie make, Grant, Rosalind, it Russell, it, you know bah, 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 it, you know, it makes ex-wife. it work it, it, you know they they were able to break down these characters and make them behave like 
ordinary people in real life. That That's the key to the show, that they haven't quite been able to get to it with Star Trek because it's always a little bit elevated. Well, I'm finding mm. the balance between the humor and the sci-fi. Yes, it's self-aware, which yeah. we need. You know, we need to be able to joke about these things and, and laugh about these things and yet have those more poignant moments because that's what we're really here for. I mean, I thought there were a couple episodes that were extremely poignant. There's the one where he's having the baby. You know, he has yep. to give up the baby and the culture. And it didn't have that traditional Star Trek ending. And there, you know, episodes that are very evocative of the original series. I think the one where they go to the planet that's basically the Star Lost, which is really yeah. a spaceship. Yep. Uh, you know, uh, it's 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 really yeah, well, it's, well it's, done. And it's the, the stories are mostly allegories, which is what... Discovery does not do, and what no. kind of contemporary Star Trek has not been able to do. We've gotten away from that. It's a, a throwback style yeah. of storytelling, yeah. but because you you are doing this kind of bright uh, utopian future, it works in a way that it probably wouldn't. You probably wouldn't be able to do these kind of stories in on Discovery. Well, on Discovery, they did try and tackle like PTSD, you mm-hmm. know, with with the Tyler character, um, mm-hmm. and they they made some talked a little bit about, oh, you need to get help. And, you know, with the Lorca character, you know, also, oh, you need to get some psychological help to deal with this trauma. We never actually saw any of that happen, but they they do seem to at least be addressing that, yeah you know, that is a current thing that is going to continue to exist in the future. And I think Shazid Latif is uh, one of the stronger actors on the show. I think he does, he's done a very nice job yeah. uh, on that on that show. He's turning in some beautiful work, as is Mary Wiseman. I think she's phenomenal. Yeah, and I, I, if, if we want to talk about the, the short I was tracks, just going to segue uh, to that. And uh, the You know, her episode, uh, for, for one thing, it's a strange watching these. I've only seen the first two, but it's, you know, there's a very kind of transparent, like, okay, <laughs> we're sneaking in to shoot when no one else is on these sets. And, and uh, so uh, that's something that even during the regular run of Discovery, there's scenes where I think Burnham goes into engineering at night and there's nobody there. You know, they, right. they always created the idea in Star Trek, even from the first show, that there's like three shifts, you know, and that there's always someone <laughs> operating the ship. They don't all go to bed at night. <laughs> Uh, but uh, and so that's kind of a weird thing aspect of the of the uh, Tilly episode, and it's a somewhat interesting Star Trek story that they come up with. But it's really just a, a, a platform for her, and she and, is the yeah. she is by far the funniest. Uh, regular Star Trek character that, that has ever existed. And extremely sympathetic and yeah, endearing. She, she, all yes. of her she's a, <laughs> social I, I, And I remember anxiety. seeing her, you know, in the first episode, the scene where she wakes up and, and you know, finds out that Burnham's going to be her roommate. And, the, you know, the character, I think, is designed to, like, be, you know, somewhat reflect maybe autism or, you know, be, like, not a highly socialized uh, character and it might for the first few seconds I was like oh god this is like nails on a chalkboard I'm not gonna be able to deal with this you know I can't, this is an annoying character and with within like 45 seconds her delivery yeah. got so good she is so funny her timing is yeah. just incredible it is and her, it's uh, her and it's, vulnerability it's something we yeah we don't and she she's a, a normal looking woman she's not an idealized you know supermodel uh, but she's an appealing, likable uh, character. Uh, so, yeah, I think her presence on the show is one of the most interesting elements. Of Absolutely. It. I was really glad to see that they gave her runaway and what she did with it, along with uh, Yadira Guevara Pripp, who was Poe. Um, That's I, a mouthful. It, well, yeah. it's it's great that they're bringing diversity. And she was a fantastic actress. I mean, really just beautiful, beautiful work. 
what did you think of that episode, Lisa, just in terms of from a writer's point of view, having it being such a pocket episode? What does it do for us in terms of becoming more aware of who uh, Tilly is? Um, does it move things forward or is it just a nice little pocket? I guess I think of it as a nice little pocket because Tilly and I think all of the characters, you really need to see them interact with each other. And I think that seeing Tilly interact with sort of a guest character that we're never going to see again, it sheds a little bit of insight on her, but I didn't feel like I learned anything new about the character that I hadn't already learned from seeing her interact with kind of our regular crew. And I I wanted to see more of our regular crew rather than, again, this character that we're never going to see again. So to me, it was like nice and pleasant, but not so much insightful. Yeah. I hear you. And yet it had such an incredible optimism. I mean, it it, oh, yeah. it was, you know, these characters that had, you know, adversity at, at first and, and they just were not getting along. There was a lot of tension. Who is she until he's alone to deal with this? And then the way that they found their communication and created a, an empathy for... But we've seen her do that with Burnham. Yeah, true. And that's that's the journey that I would rather see. Mm. Uh, it's so funny, uh, based on what Lisa was saying, I was just thinking, you know, originally I was a, a big proponent, and I thought this was a great idea doing these short treks, but what you just said about, you know, focusing on one character, it reminds me of what the problem was with Arrested Development Season 4. You know, this is yeah. when they, you know, uh, Netflix announced a great fanfare that they were going to do a new season of Arrested Development, it was all very exciting, And but the problem was because of the schedules of the actors, each episode dealt with one character, and it was kind of a bust, it was kind of really disappointing, and it, you, you wanted to see the Bluth family together, you know, as a family. And my hope for the, the, the short treks was it would be other facets of the universe, sort of like the standalone hmm. uh, Star Wars stories, right. you know, where, you know, theoretically you were going to see other things in the Star Wars universe. Uh, and, and, and with Star Trek, I thought, oh, we see other things. The problem, of course, is reality sets in, and it's like, we have these sets. Mm -hmm. You know, to go build for a 10-minute, 15-minute short film, you know, to go do something set on Quonos or to, on Romulus or do so, some, you know, Tellarite story or Andorian story or whatever, that involves a huge amount of money that they can't really spend, and particularly Netflix is not buying the short treks as of now. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, for international, so that's even less money they have in their pocket. So it sort of necessitates them sticking with their core characters from Discovery, which is interesting because the original premise for Discovery, Brian Fuller's original idea, was that Discovery would go a season or two and it would be an anthology. Each couple of years, it, the show would change to a different show. Mm -hmm. And because of the cost of creating Discovery and building the sets, they had to make it a, an ongoing show rather than flip the show every couple of years. And in a way, I sort of kind of thought that would have been cool. I mean, you know, the reality is the Picard show was, you know, something that Brian had been noodling long before it ever became a, a reality, you know, I mean, as part are, of that anthology. They yeah. are putting a, an incredible amount of production value into. Yes, yeah, seriously, when they went down to Kronos and went undercover, you know, to kind of try and get information about Kronos, that was an amazing production value, yeah. I gotta say. I mean, just again from yeah, from a practical standpoint, I was like, how did they build all of these sets for this episode? Yeah, yeah, and the effects are boy, those are not cheap. I mean, that is it's worth the seven bucks, people. It really <laughs> is. It's I, fantastic. I have to see how a Klingon pees. But I, I <laughs> was, tell you, it was worth it for that. <laughs> yeah, I, I miss, I miss, and this, you know, this this goes back to the original Star Trek, and I don't want to step on another episode where we're going to talk about. Um, uh, the lessons that Discovery can learn from other Star Trek shows. But, you know, Stanley Robertson, who was the executive on the original show, used to send memos to Roddenberry and the producers all the time saying, 
more planet shows, more planet shows. And the thing I miss about Discovery is it feels very claustrophobic mm -hmm. because there's no location shooting. Part of the problem is they're in Toronto and there's not the kind of rich environments. See, the great thing you had when you shot on the Paramount a lot was you had Palmdale for the deserts and you had Bronson Caves and you had all these places you could go. Yeah. Toronto, especially if you're shooting in the winter, there's not you're a lot. sort of cooped up on those yeah, sets. Yeah, not for that century. <laughs> you know, unless yeah. you're going to Hoth, wrong, yeah. wrong franchise. So I, I find that the show lacks that that location work that I think is really important because if you look at some of the great Deep Space Nines, and I talk about this on Inglorious Trek when we did our countdown of is the best episodes, stuff like Rocks and Shoals, um, you know, on Next Generation, the Survivors, where they go, you know, whenever they do location. Um, work it really infuses the show with a lot of life. Sure, I mean it's great for eye candy, and yet is that part of what they're wanting us to feel? That claustrophobia? That that I mean I don't feel claustrophobic when I see the show because there's it's a vast ship and there's incredible effects, but it 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 does if you let it let you feel like you are on a ship and there's nowhere to go and you are locked into dealing with yeah, the things and the emotions even and the when you know i was uh, the the kind of previews for the first mirror episode i was mm. thinking oh this is going to be incredible we're going to see planets all you know what's what's going on in the mirror universe and then it winds up all being cooped up in the in on this another ship, ship which yeah. barely has any like a, a corridor and a throne <laughs> Uh, and, uh, the, the, you know, I thought they seem to have some major budget issues, even in terms of effects. There's some tremendous effects you see at the, in the early episodes. It seemed like by the time they got to the Mirror Universe, they had really stretched their effects budget thin. And I'm hoping, I mean, the, everything well, the everything that we're seeing. the show enormously expensive yeah. and the startup costs were Everything we're could, seeing from see the second expensive. year looks it's really spectacular too, but that's it's, what we were looking at, you know, in previews for the beginning of season one. So I hope that they're going to be able to stretch their money a little well, bit I'm better. I'm a big fan year. of the Incredible. team of Crafty Apes, so I think they'll continue to deliver really mm -hmm. high quality effects work. You know, but Star Trek's definitely more than just you know great visual effects. I mean, it is that you know we talked about that that idic philosophy at the heart of Star Trek. You yeah, know, infinite diversity, infinite combinations, and you know the more that Discovery and the other shows can embrace that philosophy, yeah. I think the more successful they'll all be. I love where. Michael Burnham, uh, my, Michael Burnham's speech went in the last episode. I just thought that was a, a, a great way, and I, I'm excited about seeing what's it uh, in season two. Before we go, we just have a few minutes left. I want to touch on the the other short trek, Calypso. I loved it. I know it was completely out of pocket for Discovery. It was hundreds <laughs> of years, a thousand years later, um, but I thought the work that was turned in for this episode was just brilliant. Um, you may not like my saying that. You may. I thought that the Fantasy elements and the humanity that both actors brought to it were really well. Truly isn't Aldous beautiful. Hodge just a wonderful actor? Oh, yeah. he's just so talented, just brilliant every second. And what he brought in terms of the longing and the loneliness, it, it was beautiful. And what she brought in terms of of her humanity and and her loneliness, Annabelle Wallace as Zora. Um, Chime in, guys. I thought this was phenomenal. I would love to see more work like uh, this. I thought it was beautifully done. Um, I mean, not even just the performances, the direction, the cinematography, the editing, the, and the vi visual effect. I mean, it seemed like a very lavish uh, realization of, of that idea. Um, and it's funny because, that you know, now we're, we have uh, Captain Pike is a— 
major part of uh, the second year of Discovery and the the ending of this. Very well cast, I might say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the ending of this episode remind, it seemed like all, maybe almost an intentional uh, salute to the cage where you see uh, Pike and uh, uh, who, who's the great? No, no, no. The his uh, his love, the girl on yeah. the planet, right? Um, oh, Vina. Yeah, Vina. Oh, Susan Oliver. Yeah, yeah. Let's you see that her. you see them walking off together, uh, and it, you, it, so it's sort of the same ending. You see the computer still has her, you know, version of this human that she's sort of fallen in love with. Yeah, and ha- it has him in her world, and, right. and I thought that that was a very sweet kind of throwback. And that was to the Michael very Shabon. Beginning that brings us back Trek. to where yeah. we Michael started Shabon, at the beginning. Right. Who is you know one of the high level writers on. Um, Picard. So if you like that short, that should be encouraging in I terms of Picard. I love that short, and yes. I'm so excited to see what Michael Shaban does with yes, it. And certainly it, whether... that's one of the most exciting yeah. aspects of this show is his presence on I'll it. I'll tell you a funny thing. You know who's on uh, writer-producer on, who's the showrunner now on um, Discovery is James Duff, you know, who did, mm-hmm. what was it, Major Crimes? I or think so. One of those shows. James Duff had originally pitched Enterprise, and he was the one who broke, broke the no-chewing rule. It, this is in our book, Fifty Year Mission, and uh, they, back it, during Enterprise, you know, Brandon had this rule in his writers' room where you weren't allowed to have crunchy snacks right. or chew gum or stuff because you felt it, it, bro- it, it interfered with the creative process. Just like you weren't able to use dr- red dry erase pens on the on the board because it was like you were being graded. So anyway, there were all these rules in the writers' room. So James Duff came in, and I guess he was eating. And everybody's like, "Dude, no, you can't do that." It's not. And he you know, basically laughed and just kept doing it. And that was sort of the end of that moratorium because he basically pointed out how ridiculously silly this whole thing was. I, I thought you were talking about like an on-camera no-chewing yeah, rules. I, I kind of like, thought so, too. Future, don't, no gum yeah. on set. Like, the, in the man writer, has been perfected. We no longer have chew. gum in, in the 24th century? In, 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 in the writer's <laughs> room. And, uh, and, uh, Humans you know. are more evolved than to chew gum. And, 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 no, no, no. And, you know, look, 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 some Shrek people are very sensitive to that kind of stuff. On. And Brandon makes a very compelling case for why he felt that he was not being unreasonable. I'm just saying that James Duff was sort of the guy who was at the end of that who sort of like, you know, he called it out and brought that whole thing down. But James Duff is now, you know, he's gone on and run other stuff and, and he's a lovely guy and he's running um, uh, the second season of Discovery. And, uh, you know, it, it, I, I think he's, he's a guy who loves Star Trek, who has a history with Star Trek. And, you know, it's a big improvement from Harberts and, uh, you, know, uh, you know, who basically, you know, was sort of given the show when things were falling apart. Yeah. You know, not a, not a great situation. But now you sort of have people in place who really get the show and who are excited and ho- hopefully will make it great. We'll see, you know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. And who know they can chew anything they damn well And please. apparently in that writer's <laughs> right? room, you exactly. can eat snacks, you can have Trader Joe's chocolate-covered pretzels. And all the red the, pen you want. Through. Jamba juice. Talk about right. breaking taboos. A rainbow of colors. And Mark Altman, with everything from the glories of IDIC to the detail of who can chew and what. I'm a font <laughs> of worthless knowledge. That yeah. is so beautiful. Yes, um, so check that out for more. Check what out? Uh, check out <laughs> uh, Check out 50 Gum? Year Mission oh, yes. so you can read more volume about two. The, That's in volume two. the worthful knowledge of, <laughs> of, of all of the details of Star the Trek best-selling you could ever want. Mission. The best selling 50 Year Mission. Yeah, and, and with that, we shall leave you. Thank you so much, all three of you, for being here today. Lisa Klink, um, really glad to have you aboard. Happy to be here. Thank you. Looking forward to having you back. Jeff Bond, thanks for joining Thank us. You, and pick up his book on the Orville while you're pick buying. Pick up his book on the or- Orville it, it and Narcos. It is the holiday season. 
season. It's the time for miracles, Theo. So, you know, <laughs> so true. You should stock your stuffings. Stuff, stuff your stockings. Stuff your stockings. With yes. the fifty-year mission by Mark A. Altman and the making of the Orville, and of course your novels. All gone. They're by... all gone. They're out of print. Okay. Well. Yes. Sorry. And wow. also the book called All Gone. Oh, by oh, Lisa oh, 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 and Joel Goldman. <laughs> and and you know I thought you're... we were sold out. And if you still have. <laughs> <laughs> oh, who's our first? And if you're, oh and, if you're uh, and if you 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 still have some money or gift certificate after that, you know my new book on Battlestar Galactica, the oral history of Battlestar Galactica. So say we all is available, and that book is fantastic as well. Right, and you can get this podcast without commercials for only seven something <laughs> per month. <laughs> um, sorry, podcast I have nothing access. to sell. Uh, but if you'd like to support the ideals of Star Trek, check out Pop Culture Hero. Dot .org which is the foundation uh, the charity that I founded which is teaching children infinite diversity you know what and you can't say this about yourself so we're going to say it the work that Chase does is so important and 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 she doesn't do it to be commended but I'm going to commend you I think it is remarkable, you know, the anti-bullying campaign that you're involved with, you. um, helping uh, the uh, people who maybe aren't, you know, able to have the resources that some of us have. I think it's wonderful. And, you know, you're doing this, you know, not to get paid, not to, you know, increase, you know, your profile. You do this because you care. You're a person who cares. And um, it is the true spirit of Star Trek that you have carried on, not only as an actress, but as a person, as a human being. And, you know, it's a wonderful thing that you do. Thank and you. I think that our audience should seek, you know, seek out these these things and support it as much as they can. Stuff you do with Homeboy Industries. I mean, you know, uh, it, especially that it's it, this is going to air around Christmas and uh, Hanukkah. Well, Hanukkah is over, unfortunately. My presents are done. But uh, <laughs> Christmas and New Year's, and it's a time to reflect on these things. And if there's an opportunity for people to get involved with what you do, they should seek it out because it's really important and it's wonderful that you do it. Thank you, Mark. That now, was if only we contributed to society. Thank you so much. Oh, I really appreciate that. Yes, I truly believe that this type of hands-on work is the stuff that Roddenberry would be doing if he were here. We, um, we're we in some real crises on this planet, and even if it doesn't affect you or me or any of the rest of us listening uh, on a day-to-day basis, it, it well, it absolutely does when you think about it, and it affects other people way more deeply, people who we could have easily been born to be. Um, we all won the birth lottery here, so let's stand up for people who didn't. Some more than others. Well, whatever, Mark. Thank you. Um, <laughs> we can't all be as smart as you. Um, what were you going to say, Jeff? Last last uh, comments? I wasn't. Oh, never mind yeah, then. But I, agree, I agree with everything Mark said. Well, thank you so much. And uh, thanks for standing with us to make it a world where we can all live long and prosper. And thank you to our audience. So glad you could be with us tonight. Uh, Thanks for joining us on Disco Nights. And please join us for the Disco Party every Thursday for an all-new episode as we explore the world of Star Trek Discovery. Star Trek Discovery is available on CBS All Access in the United States. And the first season is now on Blu-ray from CBS Home Entertainment. If you like what you saw and heard, uh, you can rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. And you can also follow us on Twitter at Disco Nights Pod. Or on Instagram at Inglorious Trexperts, starring Mark Altman. Yes. And but don't hold me against the show. You should still give it five stars. <laughs> you know, I'm only a guest on this show. I got to hear so more about that chewing gum. If, if That's you don't, just so compelling. You know, don't you know? You said, oh, Lisa and Jeff and Chase are great, but Altman is worthless. You give it five stars anyway because you don't want to penalize Chase for my obnoxiousness. For his sins, yes. Thank you, Mark. That's true. Um, now, Mark has been around for a good many years yeah, in yeah, this yeah. Trek universe, okay, and there are reasons why. On. We'll figure them out soon.
And please share your thoughts, comments, and ideas for future episodes as well. We want to hear from you guys. Uh, if you're a fan of Disco Nights, don't miss out on our sister podcast or brother podcast. Are you my sister or brother, Mark? I don't know. Isn't that a, isn't that a Dr. Seuss book? Oh, no. Are you my mother? <laughs> are you my okay, mother? Okay, never mind. Sure. <laughs> on our sister podcast, Inglorious Trexperts, as available wherever you listen to Disco Nights. Well, didn't you say uh, it's it's your brother podcast because it's all dudes? It's all dudes. That's all, right. And all, all very smart all... and talented and wonderful dudes. But occasionally we have some wonderful uh, guests who are not dudes. Well, that's so good and kind of you, Mark. Thank no, you I mean, for opening up your world. It's all about people who are all experts right. in their field. And finally... Let's get out of here. Uh, finally, a special thanks to Bill Ritter, our engineer, and everybody here at Electric Surge Studios, and producers Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman for making this show possible. We love doing this, and so we hope you'll join us. Until next week, this is Chase Masterson saying, Disco lives! Woo! Hit it, Bill! Bill!